Welcome to another episode of Inside Startup Investing. As always, I am your host, Chris Lestrino, founder and CEO of King's Crowd. Inside Startup Investing is the number one podcast for learning about the best startups and investors in the online private market. If you are a startup investor, this is a show for you. This podcast is powered by King's Crowd's proprietary rating technology that helps us to uncover the best founders and stories that you need to hear about before clicking invest. Now, before we get started, we want to thank our sponsor, LawCloud, the premier solution for founders to prepare to raise capital online. Whether you need to file a Form C, a Form 1A, or a subscription agreement, LawCloud provides the lowest cost, easiest to use toolkit for founders to make raising capital online easier than ever. Now, on to today's show. I am joined by Nigel Sharp, who is the co-founder and CEO of a really interesting company called Aquaga. And this is a company that I think you really should be listening into and learning more about because it's a problem that impacts all of us and needs to be solved. And these guys have a really unique and innovative approach that I think is really, really exciting. Um, so glad to be able to have this conversation here today and hopefully kind of get you educated on something that we all need to learn more about anyway. So Nigel, thank you so much for joining us today. Chris, it's great to have you on here and I appreciate um, taking some time to talk about this topic. I do agree that it's uh, it's raising in everyone's consciousness. So hopefully uh, some folks will learn a few things today. With that, let's start by talking about what is PFAS because that will set kind of the tone for the entire conversation um, and the parameters of the conversation. So yeah, can you tell people what PFAS is? Yeah, absolutely. So PFAS um, is an acronym uh, stands for perimpolyfluoroalkyl substances. Before folks sort of tune out of the the podcast here, um, those substances you more commonly known uh, as Teflon, Gore-Tex, Rain-X, Scotchgard. It's the it's a substance that makes things waterproof and non-stick, um, and you find it utilized in your everyday clothing. It's the stuff that's on the inside of your microwave popcorn bags. Never wondered why your Starbucks coffee cup doesn't dissolve because it's cardboard. It's because it has that PFAS coating on the inside. Um, fast food packaging, uh, long-lasting lipsticks and mascaras and, and waterproof, um, you know, uh, ski waxes, etc. To sort of help your skis go faster. I mean, it's just it's utilized in consumer products. Um, probably something that's within reach of you right now at your desk. Um, and the other big places that PFAS has been used has been in. Uh, firefighting foams that have been used probably at every oil and gas facility, um, every airport and every airbase uh, around the country. So anytime you see those sort of big hydrocarbon fires, you see those big firefighting foam uh, systems, often the uh, key ingredient in those firefighting foams has been PFAS. Again, it's a highly stable compound, uh, it's not naturally created, so it is entirely man-made, but unfortunately it's been proven to become very toxic. As some have explained it to me, is it's a forever chemical that's essentially impossible to get rid of, um, and somehow it's ended up in our water and a lot of our water. So, can you talk about a how it gets into our water and b what the negative implications are of that? So, first of all, PFAS uh, migrates very easily through water, so it's commonly uh, mixed in again. Like you kind of imagine, using a big firefighting foam, a few drops of PFAS in water will naturally start foaming up. It's a bit like a soaping agent in some ways. Um, and unfortunately, uh, because of that, it will migrate through our, you know, hydrosphere very easily, right? Um, everything from our groundwater through the soils, etc. Um, and it sort of ended up, especially how it's ended up in a lot of our water supply, 
has been directly through um you know the utilization of these like firefighting foams again at every airport and airbase uh where these have been dispersed and unfortunately ends up in the environment and then to local communities through the water systems as well as obviously the water supply um and the wastewater supply ends up sort of cycling back through in itself and commonly our wastewater treatment plants are very good at killing off all the bacteria and nasty things that are inside of water but as you mentioned pfas has got this moniker the forever chemical it doesn't naturally or easily break down um and therefore um it does find its way even from our wastewater supply back into our into our fresh water and drinking supply um simply through discharge and, and other pieces um so you can definitely go into more sort of the water cycle and how this stuff sort of translates around but uh, pfas goes there as far as what are the health consequences and negative damages i'm not an epidemiologist or a toxicologist so i want to be very careful describing uh, PFAS, as we, we know it's a toxicant, um, so therefore a, a human-made toxic uh, compound. Uh, we know it's a toxicant. We know it's having measurable and sizable health implications. Um, and what I've seen sort of generally sort of uh, talked about is that it is um, uh, carcinogenic, so it does have cancer-causing properties associated with it. Um, we've seen likeliness as causing things like pancreatic cancers, in men, testicular cancers, we're seeing uh, impacts on thyroid diseases, uh, liver damage, as well as the number of pregnancy complications and low birth weights associated with kids. Um, it is just very broadly a, a pretty scary compound. And the most important piece is that this has been shown to have measurable and sizable health effects, even at incredibly low uh, low concentrations. And that concent low concentration plus highly toxic sort of effect that is bioaccumulative makes for a sort of perfect storm when it comes to a compound like this that doesn't naturally break down. So in recent years, I know that the government has started to look at this and, and raise concern and even start to consider putting caps on how much PFAS can be found in water, right, and have it be kind of potable, drinkable. Um, so can you talk about some of the things that are driving that and, and kind of what levels they look at as kind of like being safe? And is that even enough? Yeah, that's a great question. So we are very fortunate. We're living in a really exciting time that just uh, mid, mid-March 2023, the EPA finally put out some proposed rulings around um, uh, what they call some sort of MCLs or maximum contamination limits uh, associated with drinking water. This is really exciting. This is regulation coming down from the federal government to now start protecting the entire nation against this. Now, that isn't the first regulation made against PFAS. There has been multiple states, probably 12 to 15 states who have already regulated PFAS in drinking water and other areas, um, as well as a number of other countries sort of around the world, especially over in Europe, that have regulated certain amounts of drinking water treatment standards. So to have a national regulation coming in is really exciting. What's also really exciting about this national regulation is that they've come in at an incredibly aggressive and low level to really put a safety margin around this. And as is currently proposed, uh, PFAS will be regulated at least a couple of the major compounds. They're talking about regulating it at four parts per trillion. And that's a very hard, like intangible number for the average person to sort of get. But most things that are regulated in water contaminants are regulated at the part per million or part per billion range. To go down to the part per trillion is already a huge step forward in just the uh, the lower concentrations that are being measured and uh, being regulated at. But the second thing about that is they sort of, if you think about it in a sort of holistic view, um, when we think about sort of these firefighting problems that have been deployed in millions of gallons of this stuff, Four parts per trillion really means something like about four drops of PFAS in around 20 Olympic-sized swimming pools to give you some, some sense of concentration. Um, and that's where they're regulating at. So commonly speaking, you know, what we find out in, in 
you know, most drinking water supplies is PFAS that will often be measured in the, uh, hopefully in the low parts per trillion realm as well. So hopefully in the 30, 40, 50 parts per trillion, and therefore we're sort of mitigating it down to this lower number, you know, reducing it by 10 times as much. But there are a number of places in the country and a number of water supplies in the country where you can find thousands of parts per trillion, tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of parts per trillion. And that's really where, you know, you've got uh, high levels of concern and where that sort of really, um, you know, a large mass of effort needs to be put into like actually bringing uh, this into a, a safe parameter. So there's a lot happening in the space. It's all happening relatively fast. The government has been looking at this for a number of years. Um, certain compounds have been banned uh, for, for a long time in use in applications like firefighting bombs, really since back to the 80s. So it's not as if this is a new compound or a new emerging contaminant. I mean, this has been talked about actively by the drinking water industry for probably almost 20 years now. But the challenge we had is we didn't have technologies available to measure PFAS down to the lower part per trillion before. So this has been a big sort of limiting factor. And what the EPA has said um, in their proposed ruling is they really like the number to be down to zero, but they can't you know, regulate down to zero because unfortunately no one can measure down to exactly zero. But four parts per trillion is getting a lot, lot closer to uh, to where the uh, standard advisory needs to be. Um, and this creates a huge shift and a sort of uh, a major change across the industry. So, you know, now you've got this concern that we now have to meet a, an incredibly low standard um, uh, and a health you know, safety standard to remove this stuff from drinking water. And the whole industry is going to have to ramp up and put in extra filtration systems and and process, you know, this, this drinking water. Um, then you're left with one more challenge, which is where, you know, our company comes in and, and other companies like ours come in, which is that, once you filter this stuff and pull it out of the water and bring it down to the four parts per trillion, where do you put it? You know, because it's a forever chemical. It doesn't go anywhere. Like, you, know, you just end up putting it somewhere and it ends up having to have, you know, it potentially finds its way back into the water supply. Um, so, you know, that becomes a big concern. Last question before we get into the more optimistic side of the conversation here um, and looking at your solution for all of this. In terms of when we think about kind of American homes, like, what percent of American homes are impacted by this and right now are accessing, you know, water that doesn't meet these types of standards? Um, and then if you could help us kind of quantify just how large an opportunity, maybe even from a spend perspective to clean up uh, this mess that we're faced with, what does that kind of look like? Uh, this is the stuff that, you know, often makes me sound like the crazy guy in the street when I start talking about PFAS this way. But PFAS quite arguably is the largest environmental contaminant we use a civilization of ever faced um, simply because it's in everybody's water. It's everywhere. Um, it's it's even in the rain, right? Like you know, it's it's truly uh, spread everywhere. Um, and we have we have challenges with uh, just how widespread the challenge, yeah, you know, the, the problem is. So as far as like how many Americans are impacted, I believe that you know measurable levels of PFAS can be found in over ninety eight percent of Americans' blood. Uh, so like most, you know, almost everybody is impacted by PFAS and there's just a few that are not. And those are folks that live in, you know, probably very rural areas that like, you know, live on specific well supplies, et cetera, that they, they have no exposure to, to anything else, but anyone else, pretty much any, especially anyone in urban environments, et cetera, are being exposed to PFAS. Um, and, but yeah, I don't want to create mass hysteria and panic, right? Like, you know, the folks behind the scenes who try and provide us with clean drinking water do a lot of work to try and, um, you know, make, make water very safe. The hard part is that they only meet the regulatory standards that have been set upon them. And that's where there's been a big challenge is bringing those standards and putting those in place. So now we've got proposed rulings, standards will start taking effect. And within the next three years, you know, these organizations and the water treatment facilities will have to start, you know, 
building out and, and meeting those new regulatory standards. And that's, you know, the, uh, the exciting change of things that are happening right now. Uh, and as far as, you know, the, uh, the other parts to sort of talk about scope and scale of the, you know, the, the problem, the magnitude. So yes, okay. It's a huge contaminant, right? On the scale of asbestos and CFCs combined and the amount of impact it's having, um, and then real dollars being applied to it. The, uh, you know, the U S government has put in over $10 billion in the last infrastructure bill just to start doing some PFAS remediation, uh, work, um, at water facilities and wastewater utilities, um, we're seeing the DOD actively start increasing their yearly budget every year on PFAS mitigation and remediation work. So the Department of Defense has large stockpiles and firefighting foams that have PFAS in them. So they are spending more and more every year. And the numbers really do vary. We've seen market numbers that suggest the remediation around PFAS will be a market worth $80 billion, you know, in just a few years from now. Um, so an incredible number. But I've also seen other numbers which are on the smaller side where this says this will be a consistent small market of multiple billions per year. But this is a multi-billion dollar market uh, from everybody's account. And uh, we are very much sort of living through the beginnings of this, this new form of market around this uh, cleanup. So for what took 50 years or 40 years of, of sort of pollution that we've created may end up taking, you know, 100 plus years to actually clean up. And uh, it's going to cost a, um, maybe cost more than we've ever spent cleaning up anything else in the history of uh of our civilization, but um, it is very necessary because these are the forever chemicals. Otherwise, if we don't, we deal with thousands of years of pain and, and challenge that comes with it. So, on the optimistic side, right here you are, Aquaga is uh, is looking to help us solve this very problem. Um, so, let's talk about what Aquaga does, how you're helping to mitigate this issue, and and maybe even solve it. Yeah, thank you, Chris. I mean, we, we started this journey uh, three years ago, and I want to be really clear with everybody who's listening in. I had never even heard of PFAS three years ago. So, you know, we were looking at technologies to take wastewater and sewage sludge and turn it into energy, potentially. And we were out there exploring and going to water and wastewater conferences and talking to folks. And, and even though that was a really nice thing that people were like, oh, that could be cool to have, it wasn't specifically a really big pain point that the industry was facing. But as we were at these industry conferences, we learned more and more about this topic of PFAS and how in some sessions, and even now, I can't think of a single water conference that doesn't have PFAS as one of its sort of central elements right now. Um, you know, those at that time, three years ago, were standing room only in these rooms where people were trying to disclose what this stuff is, what's going to happen, how it's going to change their work, et cetera. Um, so kind of that early exposure to, you know, to PFAS and three years ago of sort of learning about it, to then realizing that we were sitting upon a technology that was really applicable to uh, to PFAS uh, dealing with it. And where we specifically fit into it is that we're one of the very few companies in the entire world right now, um, one of the very few technology groups in the entire world right now, that have a technology that can completely break the molecule apart. So we we kind of rip the, uh, rip the molecule apart and can turn it into safe byproducts. Um, I'm happy to go into a lot more detail about sort of how the technology works and what we do there. But the important piece of that is that if you can if you can make forever chemical no longer forever, that now gives you a real mitigation strategy around how to deal with it. So now you partner a technology like ours with all the filtration technologies that exist, which are kind of accumulating and concentrating up the PFAS. Then you pump that stuff into a machine like ours and get rid of it once and for all, and slowly bring down the numbers you know around the world on you know the PFAS numbers that exist out there. And mitigate a problem that otherwise has to be um, dealt with for a very, very long time in the future. So to talk about another solution that exists, you know, there's a, like reverse osmosis, right, is, is another solution for PFAS. 
Um, is that when you, maybe you could talk more about what that process looks like? Um, and then does this layer on top of that to then destroy once it's been concentrated or is this wholly in place of that type of technology? Yes, that's, that's a, it's a really great question. So reverse osmosis is a really nice one to sort of think through. Reverse osmosis generally uses a kind of membrane. So what that really means is you kind of end up with this really narrow mesh that water molecules can pass through, but contaminants can't. And so the way that reverse osmosis membranes work is that, you know, you're, you're forcing water, you know, you're forcing this contaminated water through, the contaminants get held behind and the other water goes through. So you end up with two things. You end up with a clean water stream that's coming through the membrane, and you end up with a reject stream. And that reject stream ends up being concentrated, uh, you know, reject. And uh, it's, it's containing that PFAS and other stuff that goes with it as well. Um, I wish water was as simple as just having one contaminant in it, but there's many contaminants and many things you have to deal with simultaneously. So it's a really great example of like, yes, you end up with a concentrated reject stream, and that is a perfect fit to go into a system like, you know, the, the systems we've got at Aquaga. So what we do is we take a concentrated reject stream out of something like a reverse osmosis uh, system, and we'll put it through what we sort of lovingly call our pressure cooker on steroids is a way to think mm. of it. It is, uh, it's an industrial pressure cooker, it sits in a sort of a 10 foot, 20 foot shipping container. Um, this machine will continuously process the water, but take things up to high temperatures and high pressures, which, you know, alone will not break down PFAS. But we also add uh, pH amendments. We add a, a alkaline amendment or some sort of like caustic soda, for example, and that makes it like a really corrosive environment. That corrosive environment um, is really effective at breaking the, uh, the really tough molecular bonds that hold PFAS together. And specifically, what makes PFAS the forever chemical and last so long is because of these uh, the majority of the bonds in the PFAS molecule are these carbon and fluorine bonds, and the carbon and fluorine bond is one of the toughest bonds in organic chemistry. Um, and but in these high temperature, high pressure conditions with this high alkalinity has been shown to be one of the most effective ways of sort of stripping those uh, those bonds apart. And then we can take the the fluorines, which is sort of the one of the toxic elements within that uh, compound, and we can turn them into fluorides, so sodium or calcium fluoride, stuff that you'd find in toothpaste. So really take something that is highly toxic into something very inert, very easy to deal with, and a byproduct is safe. That's incredible. Uh, so. When thinking about the customer of your solution, are these large water treatment plants that are buying this to manage their their PFAS? But not just yet. Um, it's not where we are currently sort of aiming our business. So when you sort of think about water treatment plants and where they sort of sit in the overall life cycle, and this is where there's a bit of a nuanced knowledge around it. And again, I've learned a huge amount in the last couple of years. So I don't expect everyone to sort of be an expert in this. Honestly, I'm the same as everybody else. I turn on the water at home. Water comes out of the tap, I flush toilets, water goes away, like, you know, usually pretty happy with the system, don't try and think too much about it, but water treatment plants sit somewhere in the middle, right? They are they are processing, taking water that is mostly clean um, out of a, a river or a reservoir or something, then they're cleaning it up, just polishing it off, cleaning it up a little bit, and then passing it down through our through our system distribution. But really, if you want to really take a tack at the PFAS problem, you've got to start up, you've got to work at the other ends of the pipe. So at the very top end, you have industrial facilities that are still producing and utilizing PFAS and still, you know, there's PFAS coming out of their waste drain pipes every day at their factories. That's highly concentrated PFAS, has essentially huge impacts on the communities, and it's a great place to sort of deal with the problem. So this is sort of called points, you know, the source point treatment, right? Is mm -hmm. you can get up to the very source of this and try and uh, deal with treatment at that very end, at the top end. So that's where Aquaga sometimes plugs in. So we deal with the high concentrated waste that's coming out of industrial facilities. And those folks are like concentrating up their waste 
and figuring out how they can get rid of it. And they're worried about that because there's a real liability associated with that waste. If they are pumping it down the drain and it just disappears off and it ends up in a, in a community's river, uh, you know, water source, that could be a huge concern for those, those companies. And right now, to put some context around it, there are six or seven billion dollars worth of lawsuits against some of these big mega corporations doing this. Um, and therefore, those companies are very concerned about like trying to find ways to mitigate and like minimize ongoing liability, especially around a contaminant that doesn't break down naturally, right? So that's one place we sort of work to treat. The other place that Aquaga fits in really well is sort of at the back end of the pipe. So when you deal with the concentrate coming out of the drinking water supply, or you deal with the concentrate coming out of um, uh, an Air Force base is being cleaned up, et cetera. All of those concentrates kind of end up in one place, they end up in sort of the waste disposal facilities, right? Much like everything else in the world, we kind of send them off to a waste company to sort of deal with them. And they end up in two places. You know, they, they commonly have gone either to incinerators or to landfills. Um, but the Department of Defense last year put a moratorium on uh, incineration of PFAS, which was a really big sort of, you know, signal to a lot of other folks that incineration was no longer an acceptable piece. And the reason why is because PFAS is using a firefighting phone it doesn't incinerate very well. <clears throat> That's the long, sort of the short version of the of a much longer story there. Um, and therefore, we're left with really one option, which is to dump it into landfills. And when you dump PFAS into landfills, you end up like mixing it in with all the other nasty stuff and turning it into some sort of leachate. And landfills have different ways of managing and ma maintaining their, their wastewater and their, their treatment around wastewater. But none of them have the ability uh, currently to sort of deal with PFAS in their wastewater. And that's where, again, a system like a quality could plug in, plug in at the end of the pipe, and deal with the waste to stop it from their recontaminating back up upstream again. So those are the logical places for us to plug in right now. Obviously, in the longer term, we build really large scale systems. Maybe there's Vanium directly plugging into certain drinking water systems, but it's not um, it's not an immediate goal right now to really bring down total amount of PFAS in the water and to reduce the overall uh, challenges. Working at you know where it's being produced and where it's ending up are the two places to really try and make an impact at. Well, that's so interesting. So. Are PFAS chemicals still, or are a lot of PFAS chemicals still legal and they're allowed to still use them in practice? Uh, absolutely, yes. Unfortunately, you know, the history of PFAS is pretty sorted. So this is where, you know, you start digging into the, uh, into the real uh, conspiracy theories and other pieces that go around PFAS. But unfortunately, some of it is, is very much publicly and well known now. Um, so there, in 2019, there was a movie starring Mark, Ruff, uh, sorry, Mark Ruffalo, uh, who plays the Hulk in other movies, but um, there was a movie called Dark Waters, and Dark Waters um, really touches on the life of a of a lawyer called Rob Bilot. And uh, Rob, you know, previously had worked for uh, large and you know chemical uh, firms, etc., as sort of an environmental lawyer, working on their behalf to sort of you know um, yeah litigate and support these these large chemical producing firms. But at some point uh, in his life, he got brought back to sort of his hometown area. And in Minnesota, he had um, discovered that, you know, uh, these, these farmers were losing a lot of their livestock um, and having these very weird sort of after effects, you know, sorts of nasty uh, tumors and teeth falling out, etc. And actually, not only just the livestock, but also the townspeople were all getting increasingly sick. And a lot of this was sort of originally due down to a company called DuPont, who had uh, originated and produced a lot of the PFAS compounds, uh, who later then used it, you know, heavily in production of things like Teflon and uh and and anonymous frying pans, and specifically they were looking after a, a you know compound called PFOA, which is one of PFAS compounds. So this is important to understand when we talk about PFAS, we're talking about sort of an entire class of compounds. Five to eight thousand different compounds have been under there, 
So what happened is, you know, there was this one compound that people were attributing to like having health consequences. The corporations, you know, had sort of denied this happening, but their own records showed that they did know this was, you know, potentially a, a, a nasty toxicant that did not need to be out there. That litigation and battle has been ongoing and like, you know, payouts have been made by the corporations uh, um, to sort of deal with some of that. But the big thing that happened was there was a transition away from that particular compound to another compound. So they replaced PFOA with another one called Gen X, for example, and so on and so forth. And what we found is they you know, sort of moved and they changed the molecular uh, modification of it. So they you know, reduced the number of carbons and fluorines a little bit and changed the chain. Um, and now they didn't have to follow any regulation. And therefore, they could continue producing it. We continue using it as consumers. They were you know, many, you know, arguing that it was safe. We're now seeing new health data showing the the new compounds that replace the old compounds are potentially as harmful as the original compounds were, if not worse. So, you know, more and more data keeps coming out. And this is where, you know, to answer your question in brief, yes, the industrial producers are still producing PFAS, but um, there has been some huge and mega positive changes that have come out in the very recent uh, few months. So, you know, 3M, one of the larger producers of PFAS in lots and lots of their products, um, has publicly announced that they want to remove PFAS from all of their products, I think by about 2025. So they are working on a very rapid scale to remove PFAS uh, from their product lines, recognizing the consequences of probably doing so. But this was a huge public release announcement. We're seeing fast food companies. I think Taco Bell was one of the first, and I don't quote me on this, but I know that most of the fast food companies now have made announcements that PFAS will be removed from their packaging within the next few years. We're seeing various states you know ban monster cookware we're seeing other folks like really focus on like you know removing pfas from their apparel rei made a big um public announcement on like you know removing pfas from their apparel maybelline from like their makeup series have said they're going to remove pfas from their waterproof mascaras and, and lipsticks etc so we're seeing you know the industry the the large industrials move towards a a world where pfas is not going to be used a lot of consumer products and we're also seeing the firefighting uh, organizations start looking for really good alternatives to PFAS-based firefighting foams. And therefore, we are on a trend and a positive trajectory away from PFAS. And the question today has been, which PFAS are we going away from? And generally speaking, the consumer demand is, let's just get away from all of it. Like, we don't need it for, for the vast majority of uses. There's probably some very niche-specific uses in the world, which we cannot get away from PFAS from. But for the vast majority of consumer uses, there are alternatives that are available. They might just be more costly or might require a different sort of manufacturing investment and, and process. So, yeah, um, that's, that's kind of what's going on. Yeah, it's certainly an interesting moment in time. I, I think you're absolutely right. And, and kind of a nice inflection point, I'm sure, for your business in that as everyone is taking notice and regulations are coming out and people are starting to pay attention to it, companies are having to figure out how to manage all of this. That's your opportunity to really go in and sell. I know that you've already won a lot of grants and you've won a lot of contracts, I think with uh, defense contractors, things like that. Can you talk about some of the business and some of the grants that you've won just to help people understand what the traction looks like? Yeah. So, I mean, we are, you know, we're a relatively early startup, three years old and sort of our process. And uh, to give people some sort of sense of, hey, start a company like this, we're a deep tech startup, right? There's a technology at the core of this. You have to prove the technology out at various scales for folks to actually want to adopt and engage in, uh, in our space. And uh, the way that works, especially in the US, and especially when you're sort of a university technology spin out, is you have to leverage some of these like early stage grant programs to really get some of that technical validation work. So we've been very fortunate. We've been awarded to date a six uh, SBIR awards, Small Business Innovation Research Awards, from mm. four different federal agencies, namely the National Science Foundation, 
uh, the Environmental Protection Agency, uh, the U.S. Air Force, and then also DARPA, who are sort of the defense researchers uh, group. So that gives us a huge amount of credibility. Each one of those is a you know a peer-reviewed award process you know you have to go through. And one or two of them is framed as grants. Some of the other ones are framed as contracts where we have real work that we have to sort of uh, work towards and producing, demonstrating our technology at scale. Um, so that's been some of the traction. Those six SBIR awards uh, total to about uh, somewhere in the regions of two and a half you know, million dollars um, in sort of total award amounts that have sort of come in. And again, some of those contracts we're still actively working on. They're kind of our bread and butter right now and paying for the growth of our company. In addition to that, We've also managed to sort of attract some other federal agencies um, to win some funds over uh, as, as contracts as well to help drive the company forward. And those are groups like the FAA um, that we've recently sort of been contracted uh, with through the Alaska Department of Transportation, doing a demonstration at an airport facility. So we're at the, one of the, you know, what will be one of the first destruction systems demonstrating PFAS destruction at an airport uh, in the US. Um, so it's really exciting to sort of have a contract like that. And that contract, you know, is a pretty sizable contract for us. Uh, part of our part of that contract is about eight hundred and fifty thousand dollars. So again, a pretty sizable chunk of change to to do a demonstration and prove that we can clean up a an area that is uh, um, holding this this highly contaminated waste. Um, in addition to that, though, we've also started making some really good progress on the industrial client side. I can't speak about who they are. Um, you know, we're in the business of dealing with folks' toxic waste, so we're very respectful to like you know maintain uh, strict NDAs with everybody that we work with. But I can say that we work with large industrial producers, organizations who have concerns around sort of the liability around the PFAS, and we're actively testing doing bench studies on some of that toxic waste right now and getting paid for it. Um, so smaller amounts of revenue there, but in the in the few hundred thousand dollars for some of those early tests we've done to date, and we're actively working towards putting proposals in to do larger deployments and larger studies and, and case studies. So to put all of that stuff together and sort of summarize it, um, we are, last year, I think we closed out and probably had about seven eight $800,000 of revenue. Um, again, that was about two and a half years in. Uh, we're now into our third year. And our third year, this year, booked contracts for this year, we have about $2.4 million. And for next year, we have about $2.7 million already booked contracts. And we've got a bunch of other stuff in the in the customer development pipeline. Um, and still in the big picture of PFAS, this is just a tiny fraction of the scale of the opportunity. Um, and therefore, we are still very much so scratching the surface. But what we're really doing right now is we're focused on building really great case studies and, and sample demonstration projects that will allow us to sort of tell the story that we can not only destroy PFAS, but do it at scale for in meaningful real-world environments and scenarios. Because again, if wastewater was just PFAS and just clean water and nothing else, it's a different problem. But, you know, you have a lot of other stuff mixed in, um, and that's where, like, Aquaga sort of fits in, and uh, we've sort of taken some really great lead. It's a really cool-looking hardware device, and I definitely recommend folks to go check it out on WeFunder if you're interested in investing. I have two more questions for you here, and then we can wrap up. So my first question for you is, um, are you the only ones with the technology that truly enables the destruction of PFAS? I wish I could say yes, but no, I don't think so. I think there's a few ways to destroy PFAS. Um, so, you know, you can you can break down PFAS by just applying heat to it, right? If you if you incinerate it hot enough, you will break anything down, right? And therefore, like, if you just apply heat to PFAS, the hard part is what happens then. What does it produce, right? One of the byproducts that it, you know, creates. And often, if you just apply heat, it oxidizes PFAS, but it will break into other sort of very nasty things like hydrofluoric acids, etc. So... 
we're one of the only companies doing, you know, mitigating PFAS and destroying PFAS in a safe and clean way. So I think that's a big differentiator for us, right? We don't produce any air emissions. We don't produce any toxic byproducts. And we do everything in a liquid phase. Um, and a relatively low amount of energy usage for achieving that as well, which is, you know, all very important factors when, when dealing with PFAS destruction. But as far as like sort of who can prove they can really destroy lots of PFAS and really, you know, bring the levels down, um, we're definitely sort of world leading in this. We've managed to win. Uh, we won the Alaska Airlines Environmental Innovation Competition. We're finalists at the MIT Water Innovation Prize. Um, and then maybe most importantly, the EPA had a Global Destroy PFAS Challenge where organizations from around the world participated, about 120 organizations, I think, uh, participated in this, this uh, competition. And we were the first place winners in the EPA Prize, which really opened the doors to a lot of credibility that we've had to date. Um, last year at the industry's largest in, uh, conference and trade show called WEFTEC, uh, which is the, run by the Water Environment Federation, uh, through Blue Tech Research, we were given the uh, top breakthrough technology award um, at the uh, at the industry conference, and that sort of again opened up more doors. And we continue to be, uh, you know, um, put in sort of the, uh, the the pinnacle points of in innovation in the water industry. Um, but I would say that there are other processes that also use high temperatures and high pressures that have also been shown to be pretty effective at breaking down PFAS. And right now, as far as they have similar technologies. Um, with a, with, a, with a nuanced difference. They operate at higher temperatures and higher pressures than we do. Um, so we, we manage to like operate lower temperatures and lower pressures, but we add an outline amendment and they don't. And that nuance and difference is what gives us our IP advantage, our intellectual property sort of space around what we do and how we can operate this and how we can be very energy efficient. Because our process is different from pretty much every other process. Most processes try to break down PFAS, take an oxidative approach to this for the, for the chemists who are listening in on this. Um, but we are taking a hydrolyzing approach or you know hydrolysis approach to breaking this down and that 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 nuance makes a huge difference in you know how we uh how we can be effective in this well last question for you here so you've already had a from my perspective a great deal of success and are finding your way through kind of a new frontier um as you think you know three to five years down the road what is what does success look for you yeah, well, this is very important. I think we haven't touched on this, but you know, we formed the company. We formed it, um, the name of the company, the history. Again, I encourage folks to go to the WeFunder, read a bit about it, and learn about you know, where we named the company from. But we, we incorporated this company as a public benefit corporation very intentionally. Um, our, the public benefit mission we're on is to you know improve global water quality, right? That's our you know overarching public benefit with a specific mission right now focused on you know, uh, the destruction of PFAS and, and removal of... Uh, of uh, PFAS contaminants from you know from our global water supply, and again, water is the one thing that interconnects all of us on this planet and world. And you know, we it's a shared resource amongst every single person. Um, so you know, so looking at that that history of where we formed from, that that public benefit mission that we have, um, we sit in a in a sort of frontline space now to to want to make the largest impact on the mission, which is PFAS destruction, while simultaneously growing a technology development company to to inspire others, you know, that want to also want to get in and start tackling some of the really endemic issues that are sit around water. Um, and we want to sort of be an inspiration to other groups to sort of get in because water needs all the help it can get. Um, it is, will become one of the resources that will be most embattled over, like, you know, over the next century. I, I have no doubt of this at this point. Um, you know, there are a couple of billion people right now in the world who do not have access to enough clean and simple drink water. And it only get, it's only getting worse right now with climate change and other things impacting it. So the more entrepreneurs, the more technologists we can get involved uh, working on the water problem would be really 
really key for long-term sort of survival and you know growth of, of our civilization. Where does Aquaga fit into that whole spectrum? Well, in the next three to five years, I don't think we're going to solve the world's water problems, um, but I do think we can have a, a meaningful dent hooked on the PFAS problem. And the way to do that is to grow a company and then partner with larger existing companies who also have that similar kind of mindset of making a, a positive difference. And one thing I'll share, because this is something I didn't know until I got involved in sort of the water wastewater industry, is the people behind the scenes who are keeping our water clean and like, you know, taking our, you know, taking our toilet waste, waste away. Most of those people are very good people, right? Like they're genuinely just trying to sort of keep the, the fabric of our infrastructure of our society kind of alive behind the scenes. And those, those folks are the real heroes um, when it comes down to dealing with uh, water and water treatment. Um, where we fit in is we're kind of the, uh, we're, the, we're the, the tool maker for the heroes, right? We, we kind of like provide them that. If it was kind of like the old James Bond movies, it'd be like we have a queue coming up with some new, uh, you know, new gadget and new um, innovative technology and tool to allow the, uh, allow the heroes of the day to actually go out and really, you know, serve, uh, serve the needs of everybody else and keeping everybody else's water supplies, you know, uh, safe. So that's what we sit in. What I would love to do is I'd love to see in three to five years, our products aren't just being used at demonstration sites, but we now have commercially ready, scalable units that are working in production with, you know, partners and other firms to allow us to scale up that opportunity and start mitigating all of these major highly contaminated sites and bringing down the, the total levels of PFAS contaminants among other contaminants, improving water quality for everyone in the nation and beyond. Nigel, thank you so much for your time. Thank you for your insights. Thank you for the company that you're building. Um, you're certainly at the, the front of a new frontier that I think is really helping to push forward very positive change uh, as it relates to you know clean, safe drinking water, which is what we all ultimately want. Um, so thank you very, very much. For those who are interested, you can go and check them out on WeFunder um, and invest in them. And I'll throw this little nugget out there. Kingscraft Capital is an investor um, in Aquaga. We're, we're big believers in what they're building. Um, and the data is shaked out pretty positively for them on our Kingscraft rating. Um, so thank you again, Nigel, for your time today. And, uh, and have a wonderful rest of your day. Take care. Thank you, Chris. Appreciate the opportunity. Thanks so much for listening. As I mentioned, Inside Startup Investing is powered by King's Crowd. If you want to use the same tools I do to power your investment decisions, you can head on over to kingscrowd.com backslash startups to try out our Edge Pro Toolkit for 30 days free.